And we were thinking, you should be Professor X, and you should be Magneto. I expect more from you. This is the 13 Days of X-Men. Welcome to the 13 Days of X-Men, Monkey Off My Backlog's second annual holiday limited series. I'm your host, Sam, and with me is the Raven to my Charles. Or maybe she's the Mora to my Charles? You know what? I don't want to be Charles because he's kind of an egotistical jerk. Anyway, here's Tessa. Hello. Joining us today is friend of the pod, Colby. I'm glad I've ascended to friend of the pod. That's exciting. (laughs) You were always friend of the pod. Last year, because movie marathons are a holiday tradition for us, we watched nine Fast and Furious movies and released nine podcast episodes over nine days. This time, we're raising the stakes by watching the 13 movies in the Fox X-Men series. Today, we're talking about X-Men First Class, which is a reference to the first class in Charles Xavier's School for Talented Youngsters, as well as a way to let us know that, while Fox had us stuck in coach during the last four movies, we're finally getting an upgrade. But before we talk about that, Colby, since it's Christmas time, what are you looking forward to this holiday season? Honestly, this holiday season, I am just looking forward to... So we have a little bit of uh, a new sort of tradition at uh, my parents' house where now that we are all of age, um, my parents get like a case of wine. <laughs> we all just like <laughs> sit around and, uh, and watch movies and watch TV. And this year, uh, we're going to watch my wedding video, which is going to be really nice. Oh, nice. That'll be really fun. Congratulations once again. Thank officially you. on the pod. Appreciate it. It's been over a month now. Last year, didn't you have like a holiday movie project that you did? Yes, I did, where I watched every family Christmas movie that came out between the year 2000 and 2009. It was very fun. Are you planning anything like that this year? I was considering it. But I'm not sure if I will formalize it as much as I did last year. There are some movies I want to revisit from my formative, I was going to say transformative years, which is... Um... <laughs> Please don't watch the Transformers movies at Christmas. <laughs> don't, don't do that to yourself. Well, now that I just had that amazing Freudian <laughs> slip, I think I just might have to. Oh, God. Please don't. You know, I, I really it hurt me when you said you might not formalize it because you know... Here in this house, we are fans of overly formalized, very difficult, time-consuming, and altogether perhaps not rewarding movie marathons. But remember, I am a list agnostic. I do not do these things formally. I believe the official monkey off my backlog list versus chaos Leaderboard is, I believe at this point, it's 23 list makers to three agnostics. <laughs> I think you guys are just getting trashed. Yeah, but the, the chaos people, each one of us has like the strength of like five list makers. So <laughs> I just I just think it's really funny because like you have no idea if I made up that number or not because you don't write things down. Ooh. <laughs> All right, you guys. I mean, I could. All right, fine. (laughs) I just didn't have it in the notes. Was it supposed to be in the notes? I guess it should have been in the notes. Colby, tell us about your relationship with X-Men. Don't have much of one. So, (laughs) honestly, I, I, I feel like... A lot of my internet friends are, like, slightly older than me. So they have... Their entrance to the X-Men was X-Men the Animated Series. That show uh, stopped airing new episodes when I was one year old. (laughs) So I didn't watch a bunch or uh, any of that show. So, jump like, when the X-Men movies first came out, again, I was, like, in elementary school. Uh, It just wasn't really my thing. Spider-Man, it just came out, and that was much more uh, six-year-old speed. So that's <laughs> kind of what, what I gravitated towards. And honestly, the first uh, X-Men movie that I ever saw was Deadpool. 
Nice. By the way, I like how you said that Spider-Man is more of a six-year-old speed. <laughs> right. <laughs> and of course, Peter Parker famously for like fate and circumstance and reality constantly dunking on him every day of his life. That is something a six-year-old should, should, should you know, have. Yeah, but it happened life. to a child, <laughs> which makes it children's right, media. Right. And <laughs> also Randy Macho Man Savage. <laughs> That as well. Oh, that's what I'm doing this holiday season. Uh, me and Wait, my partner, what? we're gonna watch all the Spider-Man movies. All the Spider-Man. Oh, I thought you were gonna say you're gonna watch all the WrestleManias, and I was like, <laughs> different project We've... for a different year. And so, just to be clear, because we're talking about this as well to celebrate the new Spider-Man movie, you are referring to the three Sam Raimi movies into the Spider Verse. The Tom Holland movies, and that is all, because that is all the Spider-Man movies that have been made. Is that correct? I believe there was one Andrew Garfield movie, maybe half of an Andrew Garfield movie, and then nothing else. (laughs) They just made half a movie for that second one. I wish they had made half a movie. That half a movie is like six hours long. And a Broadway show, question mark? Yes. Yes, written by... Your friends from YouTube, Bono and the Edge. No wonder it was cursed. Is that Shut Out the Dark? Is that what that's called? Turn Out the Dark? Turn Out the Dark. Something like that. It's You do something to the dark, which is weird because the dark is when you've already turned something off. This is very true. I was with you at the very beginning of that when you said, like, I wasn't that into the X-Men. And I was like, oh, me too. We have a very similar story. And you said all my friends on the internet are slightly older than me. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> Different. <laughs> No, I I just, I never had, now I have like a couple cousins who like are super into, like I'm talking about have read every single comic that has ever came out and they were super into the X-Men, but they never got me into it. So have you seen the rest of the films or is it just Deadpool and this one? I have seen Deadpool. I have seen Deadpool 2. Um, I have seen Logan, which y'all are going to talk about, which my hot take, I don't think it's as good as everyone says it is. <laughs> um, I have reasons for thinking thinking that, and maybe I should have been on that episode instead, but I wanted to see a movie I hadn't seen before, but those are the three that I've seen. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. So this one is completely new. You have never seen First Class before this watch. Not a lick. All right. And that's super fun because the next thing I'm going to say is going to be super ironic. Okay, guys, the Retcon Express is leaving the station. What better way, after the terrible, terrible experiences of The Last Stand and X-Men Origin Wolverines, my God, why did you make this movie, then starting over again seems like a good idea. So they start over again by doing the exact same Scene again. We're back in the concentration camp, except we're going to stay there three times as long as we did the first time, which, as you know, is a great way to start off any movie that's not called Schindler's List. I actually did not know until about 15 minutes before I got onto this call that that is a a callback to, is it the first, the very first movie? Yes. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. So in the first movie, we see the scene where his where Eric's parents are being taken away and he bends the gate with his powers. And that's supposed to be like his moment where he realizes that he's a mutant or that he has powers. All of the stuff with uh, Sebastian. Is it Sebastian? Yes. Yeah. Sebastian Shaw. All the stuff with Sebastian Shaw experimenting on him and killing his mother. That's all new to this movie. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, I guess if you've seen Logan, you're familiar sort of with Professor X. He is a character in that movie, although he's a much older and has like a mental illness in that movie. What did you think about the introduction of Eric Lencher, who is like the very famous X-Men villain Magneto, and the Professor X characters in this movie? Did you know anything about them before going into this, Colby? So the thing that is often said with these two characters is, or with the X-Men series in general, but these two characters in specific, is that the X-Men are used as an allegory for 
the civil rights movement allegory for um the lgbtq community and allegory for the jewish community which is i guess is more of an more than an allegory in this sense um but in the civil rights case a lot of people say that like oh magneto is the um malcolm x here and uh and charles xavier is the martin luther king which after watching this movie i'm like um, I, did I miss the part of history where Martin Luther King worked with the CIA? <laughs> like, am I, did we skip over that part? Did, did just okay, nobody listen, tell us? It's not a perfect comparison. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do, I, I really like the, um, the Eric Lyncher character. I think that it's, it's very good characterization to transpose the, his, Jewish identity with his mutant identity. I think in 2011, when not everyone was talking about intersectionality, if you were to put this movie in front of someone, I think it's a very good way to explain intersectionality to somebody who's not familiar with that concept. So for that reason, I think it's uh, the choices that they made with Eric, I think were, were good choices. I agree. I guess the one thing that did bother me Specifically, because generally I think you you got it there, but specifically what really bothered me is like, how did that vortex of sharp knives and objects not go through the glass and kill Sebastian Shaw at the end? Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. <laughs> I was I was thinking that the entire time. I when uh, when Shaw was bringing him into the room, I'm like, you are a braver man than me right now. Because <laughs> after seeing that, I I being the person who just killed this dude's mother, am not going to walk and bring him into the room with me with all of the sharp objects. That seems like a lapse in judgment. Right. That's all I'm saying. And I mean, I guess you know, if if the first four movies all plot and no real thinking behind the camera this this seems to be an inversion of that like they've done so many you know so many sessions i guess talking about the allegory and the metaphors of the movie and then they completely forgot that's silly that wouldn't have happened that way they totally all be dead <laughs> i think that's true i i also think that they kind of maybe get away with it because eric doesn't have full control of his powers in that moment so maybe he's all powered out at that point that's yeah. the only way i can rationalize that moment but also <laughs> like it's it's weird it is strange right and so you know the whole thing about this this first sequence here is it's supposed to juxtapose eric and Charles, right? That's pretty much what this movie is. So we go from a concentration camp to rich people world where, you know, little Charles comes down the stairs and his mom's like, how you doing? Want some hot chocolate? And he's like, my mom would never say that. <laughs> Except he's not saying it. He's communicating it with his mind. Surprise, it's baby Raven. And truly. Her, like, showing up at somebody's mansion and pretending to be that person's mother, that is so Raven. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> she's welcome. She's so cute. Like, little Raven as a baby. So cute. It's adorable. I love it. Yeah, like, I, I don't know. I do think that this works pretty well to juxtapose Eric's trauma against Charles's privilege right because charles is very very smart but he's never experienced the things that eric has and he's never experienced things that raven has like it even sort of implies that she's just been sort of like as a child going from place to place scavenging food and supplies from rich people's houses and i don't think i don't think charles understands that oh no there's no way that he understands that i also am thinking of the implications of like playing pretend with raven as a child it seems like a, <laughs> like an experience that would be a uh, way too trippy for a little seven-year-old colby well i also just feel like how did charles convince his parents to let her stay like either you know i either either he hid her for a really long time or he used his powers on his parents like, Mama, I found a girl. <laughs> Can I keep her? I promise you know, I'll feed her. <laughs> the The whole Raven situation is like Little Orphan Annie, but instead of a girl with no pupils in her eyes, she's 
mystique. That's, yeah. that's really all I got there. Um, you know, and, and so it's just one scene. And, you know, Charles is doing a good, you could read a little slight condescension in there. But, you know, in case the poor little rich boy thing didn't come through, let's immediately skip ahead several years into the future where the smartest, biggest brained person in the world is at Oxford, but he's a total lech in a bar. Do you enjoy that? Do you like that? I um, uh, I mean, listen, Charles got some game. He got a little game. <laughs> I ain't, I ain't, I ain't hating on it. <laughs> you know, you do I'm what talk you science do. to you. <laughs> I like that his go-to pickup line is to go up to women and be like, "You're a mutant." Like, <laughs> hey, baby, I really like your auburn hair. You're a mutant. <laughs> He was spitting though. Like I, I imagine that this he would not be doing this if it did not work out in the past. So no, it's true. But can we talk about how he's literally doing that with, you know, clearly the the most attractive woman behind him who like is completely, totally, obviously. How can you be so smart and not realize she's in love with you, person? Yeah, it's the thing that they were doing with Jennifer Lawrence back in the early 2010s where we were just like kind of pretending that she wasn't beautiful. (laughs) Because she weighed more than other women. Like it was one of those things where it was like she's just like slightly more curvaceous than most movie stars and that makes her unattractive. That and she said that she liked pizza that one time. (laughs) (laughs) She likes pizza and she wears a size six. Well, I think we're done here. Nothing against Jennifer Lawrence. I'm sure she's a pleasant, oh, pleasant no. woman. No. Just, just, just don't tell her how to work a science oven. I love that movie. Please, have you seen American Hustle, Colby? Uh, it's on my list that I don't have. Hands down, best Jennifer Lawrence performance. Better than Silver Linings Playbook? Yes. She is more insane in American Hustle than she is Literally playing with playing a person with legit mental illness in Silver Lining's playbook. She is out of control. It is great. It is such manic energy in that movie. It's it's I love it so much. That's my favorite Jennifer Lawrence. Right? Okay. And and so just in case, just 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 in case, right? So like we've we've done the the comparison of Eric to Charles, so you really understand more about their character. Because Matthew Vaughn's like going hard into juxtaposition, so you understand things, right? So we 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 uh, compare Charles, Lech that he is, with Maura McTaggart, who is literally asked, "Why should we, what?" No, she's not asked. Maura McTaggart, who while she's in the room, a male agent literally says. This is why we shouldn't let women be government agents. Like, so we're doing sexism, guys. We're doing it. And I understand the impulse to put that very blatant line into the movie because, you know, you, you got to do the, yes, it's the 60s. This is a, sexism is a thing that happened only in the 60s and never again. Sort of thing. <laughs> so I, I understand that being there. And also, when you are working with a property like the X-Men, and I say a property like the X-Men because there are like other sort of fantasy sci-fi sort of properties that try to do the allegory thing, I feel like you got to pick to one and stick with it. <laughs> I feel like, or like pick your oppression and stick to that oppression. <laughs> <laughs> so like they try to do the sexism and they try to do the civil rights and they try to do the um, LGBTQ and is this the one where he's, oh, he's like, you didn't ask, so I didn't tell. Yes, <laughs> it's like a literal line Hank in this says movie. that later. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like when you do that, at least for me, who is very much in those conversations all the time, is a little bit eye-rolly. Maybe for other people who aren't as quick on the uptake, it's something that needs <laughs> to be there. But for me personally, it's very like, ah, that again. <laughs> Yeah, I, there are two things in this movie that come across as kind of cringe to me. And one of them is that line with Moira McTaggart, who's played pretty wonderfully by Rose Byrne, even though she doesn't have a lot to do for the second half of the movie. But I feel like they were trying to also be like, oh, well, she she's like them. Like, she she's not a mutant, but she experiences oppression, too. 
but it's not in the same way. So it comes across as like really heavy handed with her, whereas it comes across maybe a little less that way with the mutants. It's very lean in, very lean in, very girl boss. Exactly. Did you have something to say about that? I have one other. It one. it also reads as as like the so if you go back to the civil rights thing, right? It's the person inside the government who's like, no, 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 they're just like us. It's okay. Why don't you understand? Why am I being made an other too? Because I think the other people are great, right? It's that whole white savior thing, right? You could definitely read it that way. Just. You know, great. You love to see that. <laughs> All right. So it's time to do another movie because this is 2011, which is two years after Inglorious Bastards came out. So let's do that movie. We're going to do Nazi hunting. We're going to go to Argentina and we're going to do a thing. And then we're going to end up in Las Vegas, which is going to be fun. But, you know, I, I'm really curious as somebody who hasn't seen all of these. You know, so if this is your big entryway into the main mothership part of the franchise, right? Because you've seen Logan and you've seen Deadpool, but this is the first X-Men proper movie. This movie starts with, like, all of this stuff, right? We have, like, the we start off with the concentration camp stuff. We do the rich guy stuff. We do the college. We do the CIA stuff. Now we're going to Argentina. We have not done an X-Men yet. We're doing a lot of <laughs> things that could be an X-Men movie. Does this work for you? Uh, one, way to roll the dice on me seeing Inglorious Bastards. I feel like that's a very dangerous proposition, and it paid off in this one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, so it was the beginning of this movie for me was slow. It was very much slow going. But because I am in this, this nerd world, I had like enough nuggets that I could like pick up pick up and glob glob onto being like, oh yeah, that word I've heard before. <laughs> um this this base I've heard before. Yeah. It would that that was enough for me. If I was uh let's say my partner, I'm not sure if she would have I don't know, she wasn't really watching while I was watching, so I'm not sure how well she picked it up, but um for me it felt slow even being able to follow it enough. Right. And, you know, I'm more, as I mentioned earlier, I'm more on the same page with you in terms of X-Men knowledge. I probably knew a little bit more. I, I had seen the first movies. But for somebody like Tessa, this movie feels like steering into let's not treat people going to this movie like they have no idea what an X-Man is. This feels like a movie made more for people like you, Tessa. What do you think? I mean, yeah, I can definitely see that there might be pacing problems at the beginning of this movie. I think that I was just happy to see these characters finally given an, an interiority that they weren't really in the first three movies, especially Eric, who I love Ian McKellen. I think he does a really great job with Magneto in the first three movies. He he plays the character perhaps a little bit more queer than Michael Fassbender, which of course I appreciate, but Michael Fassbender, what... What Matthew Vaughn has done with this character is actually make us understand why he holds the views that he holds by the end of this movie. And I think that the beginning scenes here are really important to understanding that, um, to understanding why he is the way he is and to understanding. I mean, like you said, Colby, it's an allegory, but it's a it's a really good one the way that they play it here. I also feel like Matthew Vaughn as a filmmaker is just a step above anyone who had touched the franchise so far. Like he knew what he was doing. He was committing to it being a 60s style film. You know, he was committed to it being an action film. But yeah, he does a really good job of sort of throwing in those things for the fans while not necessarily being really obscure about it. He still is making a movie that like, you can understand these characters, even if you've never really heard these names before. Although, like you said, it might be a little confusing for someone who just has no idea the history behind any of these things. <sighs> this is going to be fun. So I, I definitely wanted to make a Matthew Vaughn Kingsman joke at the beginning, but I went with the first <laughs> class pun instead. I, you know, I just, it's such a Matthew Vaughn thing to go into Vegas for no really good reason. <laughs> because it's not really Vegas. They get teleported to the boat. 
But of course, before we talk about the boat, because we're going to talk about the boat, um, you know, Argentina is when Eric looks at the picture and realizes that Shaw is not aging. And we get to see Rose Byrne in her underwear in Vegas. We get introduced to January Jones as Emma Frost. I'm just glossing over that because, because how cool is that boat? It's a dope boat. All that 60s, like, really cool, sleek, neat stuff. What'd you think about his boat? I think it's a really, I think it's a dope boat. I, myself, I am a boat fan. I feel like it's hard to live in the South and not have a good appreciation for boats. (laughs) So I I just think it's a really, it's a really great boat. Am I wrong? Am I lying? You are absolutely not wrong. (laughs) And, and, and to wit. If you've ever heard Colby and I do a podcast before, you've been waiting for this moment, and it's arrived. Because undoubtedly, the coolest thing about that cool boat room is the record player, right? That was such a cool record player. But Colby, I was worried. You know, you brought up your age earlier. I was just very concerned. I know that the kids and the youth, they know about the records today. They call them vinyl. But I was just really concerned you didn't know what that was. So allow me, because podcasting <laughs> is a visual medium. It sure I came, is. I came prepared today. So you see, this is a record. And, and, and I have to apologize because I don't have a record from 1963. So the best thing that I could do is give you the hard, A Hard Day's Night by the Beatles from 1964. Now, Tessa, if you'll hold this just like this. But I, I, I came, I have two, I have two things for you. So, right. So this is, so like inside this is the record that you saw spinning on the movie. And um, so here's how this works, right? So you have one of these, okay? This is a, this is a cartridge and it's attached to an arm. And let's see here. Like, uh, let me get that really close Maybe you can see. There's like a little needle. <laughs> and that needle is diamond tipped, like Emma Frost. It's pretty cool. And, and, it's, and, and so this goes on the turntable and spins it around, and the needle touches it. It makes sound. There you go. I will say, uh, <laughs> growing up, my favorite part of Christmas time was when my dad brought out his record player where you listen to the Motown Christmas uh, yes. vinyl. Yes. Yes. Very fun. Very fun part. Also, uh, Hard Day's Night, we did, uh, in college, we did a Beatles halftime show. Uh, that was really fun. And Hard Day's Night was like our last. No, Hey Jude was last. You got to play Hey Jude last. But it was a fun uh, of show. Of course you did. You have to play that one last. Now I just have an image in my mind of that boat with the, the record player with a record on and Emma Frost just like putting her finger like on the record <laughs> as like the needle. Yeah, that's that's a that's a fun. Record. Also, can we talk about the Bond villain submarine that's on the bottom of the boat? Like, that's straight Good up stuff. out of a Bond movie. And now that I've seen one of those, I can appreciate that reference. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're gonna have to just briefly take it back to our Bond miniseries a while back. This is a better version of Diamonds Are Forever, even though like there's like five minutes of it in Vegas. It's already a better movie than that one. <laughs> Anyway, I okay, so let's talk about the squad, right? Let's talk it's 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 Shaw, it's January Jones's Emma Frost. We also have future mystique hookup slash nightcrawler baby daddy, Azazel. Did I get it? Did yes. I do it? Yes. I did it. And we have um hold on. I don't want to scroll down. I want to see if I can remember it. It's uh is it Vortex? Is that right? No, no, no. It starts with an R. Um, is it Riptide? Riptide. It's Riptide. I did it. What do you think about this squad of evil mutants? I think that the evil ones are more fun than the good ones, um, as is often the case in these sorts of things. <laughs> I mean, Azazel's got a tail. Who doesn't love that? Uh, lo- love my tail, boys. Right. Also, I just feel like... <laughs> 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 Have I got a mutant for you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that it's a uh, with when you have a super villain team that's with where you have like the the biggest bad and you have like the other ones like the other ones have to be fun. 
they have to be fun to watch. They have to be fun to root against, maybe even occasionally root for. And I really think that they nailed that with like the the silent dude just making uh <laughs> making hurricanes. You got the um the kind of femme fit them for tell character um and like i said my little tail tail boy um it's a fun <laughs> team i like him a lot eventually joined by uh zoe kravitz which is always going to be um right. of course the, right. the side that i take so do you want me to give my opinion on emma frost yet well tessa <laughs> i know that you have serious feelings i'm just going to preface this by saying i don't actually care for january jones i think her greatest role is love actually but so I don't, I, eh, meh. But Tessa, I know you have feelings about Emma Frost, but you might have some about Azazel and Riptide too. Do you want to just weigh in on this squad? I mean, like Colby, I think the squad is pretty fun. My, my problem really stems from, unfortunately, the adaptation issues of this isn't like the comics, uh, which I try not to do. But as you know, this franchise has a problem with ruining some characters, and in this movie, it's Emma Frost. Does Emma he know Frost it's about ruining characters. He's seen just the good ones. Yeah, you've seen the good ones, so you don't have to know that they ruin other <laughs> characters. But like, especially female characters and Gambit, but and Deadpool in that one movie, but not in the Deadpool movies. But it's retconned in the movie. Yeah, so saw. it's it's confusing. But wait, I, I've actually seen the end of that one. I've seen the end of that movie. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. It's so it's really bad. bad. Oh, my God. Anyway, Emma Frost, when I saw her originally in first class, I thought this was going to be their way of introducing the Hellfire Club, which they don't do because Emma Frost is the white queen of the Hellfire Club. I actually like January Jones. I think she's a pretty good actress for the most part, and I really like her in Mad Men. But part of the problem, I think, is not her fault. I don't think she's given a whole lot to do besides just sort of sit there and look really pretty and and do, like, plot things. There's no way that the Emma Frost of the comics wouldn't be in charge of that outfit. Like, that that's actually my problem with her as a character in this, is that she doesn't really do henchwoman very well or if she is playing a henchwoman she's gonna take over at some point like it's all gonna be like a plot so for me that was really difficult to see her kind of more in this like secondary role she looks like emma frost like i'll give her that like she looks like the character they did a great job with the 60s outfits and the diamond skin and all of that stuff and like her her power of like making people imagine that they're having sex with her or like having like making them have these visions of things that's like a big Emma Frost thing. Uh, there's a whole debate in the comics on whether Scott actually cheated on Jean Grey with Emma Frost because it was all telepathy and is telepathy real? So like you know that's a whole thing. But that's like, a fun little the, little conversation. That's like a whole new level of we were on a break. That's that, that, you know, that's the. <laughs> That's a that's a whole new level of the emotional affair discussion. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was bad though because he tried to say it wasn't real, but Jean Grey is also a telepath, so she's like Of if course I, it was real. I'm a telepath. Why like, <laughs> oh yeah, why isn't this a movie? God, anyway. <laughs> yeah, so for me it was just it was just kind of weird seeing Emma Frost in this role when she is definitely used she's usually the person pulling the strings in some way, and it was weird to just be like, Nope, she was just a just a henchwoman. Like she she wasn't behind everything. What's that black and white Zendaya movie that just came out that was on Netflix? You know the one. Malcolm and Marie? Is that what you're yeah, thinking? Yeah, they need to make Malcolm and Marie, but that instead. Yeah, but, <laughs> but Jean Grey, Emma Frost, Scott Summers. Yeah. No, I'd watch yes. it. I'd watch it. Finally, my man Kevin Bacon. Ren McCormick from Footloose himself, because that's the reference you should go to with Kevin Bacon. Any, any, uh, any, any words on Kevin Bacon's job as the big bad in this movie? I think this is my first Kevin Bacon. And I think he did a really good job. I the, the hurt that the hurt in Sam's eyes every time I say something like that is my favorite thing. Okay. Yeah, I'm scrolling through the filmography, and I think this is. Um, do you know? It, I should have said that the other movie would have been R.I.P.D., which would have just <laughs> sent Sam over the edge. Oh, good lord. Um. 
But uh, yeah, I very good evil evil looking evil doing stuff. Uh, very <laughs> he just, he really nails the um the up to something face, which I think is something that you need in the villain. Okay, yes. good deal. And we're totally gonna come back to that later. But for now, let's talk about the good guys. Good guy team up, right? So we've got Professor X and Mystique, or I'm sorry, Charles and Raven. And, and they go to Oliver Platt's secret base, and they meet Hank McCoy, eventually known as Beast. And then we, we do Lil Cerebro, or 1960s Cerebro, take your pick. Actually, this movie could have just been called the Bay of Cerebro Invasion. <laughs> now, anyway, uh, so we've got those three, those three folks, and then we go out and grab Zoe Kravitz's character, Angel. We get... Scott Summers, Cyclops' big bro, big bro, right? Yes. Havoc. And let's see, we also get Darwin and Banshee. So can we agree, and this is hard because it's a movie. You only have so much time. Mm-hmm. But there's there's a lot of characters in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Eric joins them too eventually, right? So yeah. yeah, that's way too many people in a squad. For yes, for a movie that's introducing them all, or I mean, I guess technically not introducing them all, because in theory you would have watched three movies before you watch this one. But still, <laughs> still, it, if this is going to be a re-entry point, it fe- it's throwing a lot of people at you. Well, this is a perennial problem of X-Men films, which is why I'm of the opinion that most X-Men properties shouldn't be films. They should be miniseries because X-Men is about having a team and there are way too many characters in X-Men to ever do them justice in like a two to three hour movie. So for me, yeah, I agree. Too many characters. And of course, a lot of characters get the short end of the stick because there's just not enough time. And, and you know, I, because I'm great at this, I heard just Angel, right? I'm like, I know who you are. Who are? And then Tessa's like, that's Zoe Kravitz. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. She's like a baby. Cool. But she's a baby. And then the next baby. time I was like, oh, yeah, that is Lisa Bonet's face. <laughs> okay. I get it. I get it. Which is always a fun thing with Zoe Kravitz. I'm like, it's Lisa Bonet. No, it's not. She does look like Lisa Bonet. She looks she really exactly does. like Lisa Bonet. Here. But you can tell she's related to Lenny Kravitz, too. But she doesn't look exactly like him. It's weird. Yeah, I, um, when they do the whole, can we talk about the, the invasion of the baddies here? On sure. The, Have at it. They, they do the thing that, all, that I feel like, at least in what I've noticed with stuff set in, let's say, 1911 through like 1980-ish uh, movies <laughs> set there. Um, whenever someone, quote unquote, the baddies are talking to a black person, they're huh. like, oh, but they treat, they treat you badly elsewhere. And I feel like that's a a trope that I know why it's a trope because historically it's a thing that happened that when there was propaganda against the United States, that there was a lot of that sort of rhetoric um, being said to uh, black communities, but it's also a little bit old and in the sort of fantasy sci-fi sort of realm that it's something that happens a lot. And whether or not it's good or bad, I'm not going to make a judgment on that because I'm not sure if I hold an opinion on whether it's good or bad. But it's hap- it does happen a lot, and I notice it a lot. Well, I was going to ask you, because this is my second really cringy moment in this film, when Shaw says they will enslave you, and there's just this close-up on Darwin's <laughs> a face. A very uncomfortable close-up. <laughs> It is, a, it is a strange film choice, and I was wondering what you thought about that or what you thought about the fact that Darwin is killed shortly afterwards. Like, he's only in, like, three scenes in this film. Yeah, I mean, that bothered me. I kind of saw it coming because, uh, again, I'm in these spaces and these conversations with people that like these movies, and they never talk about Darwin, so I just figured he wasn't going to be around that much longer. And uh, you're not going to kill Zoe Kravitz. Uh, so, so well, right, I had to but go. It, of course it's 
it's those two characters, right? I mean, it's <laughs> yeah, no, but do, do, it's those two characters, and yeah. I guess because I saw it coming, that it doesn't mean that it doesn't bother me, but it was just more of a less of a being upset and more of a that again a sort of feeling, which is frustrating but also i it's a i'm more frustrated with the trope and the precedent that's been set than with that case in specific i guess yeah i i just feel like they handled the stuff about like you said about race and intersectionality with eric way better than they did with the black characters in this yeah that's why i'm i'm kind of like you didn't you don't have to address everything <laughs> because if you try to address everything, then something is going to be messy because you only have this movie's what two hours and 15 minutes ish. That's not a whole lot of time to, if you want to talk about everything, do all of it well. Right. And the whole point of this story is it's an origin story specifically to explain why Magneto is the quote unquote bad guy. But he's not really a bad guy in kind of the cartoon villain way, which is why we have Shaw, to establish that Eric is a different kind of quote-unquote bad guy, to show why Magneto and Mystique are the people who they are. You know, why Mystique feels so alienated. And I think that the stuff they do with Mystique is good. Like the the passing um, conversation that she had yes. uh, with um, with Charles earlier in the movie. Um, it's one of my favorite scenes because that's one of the best ways, at least in fiction, that I've seen um, talk about uh, passing in general, whether or not it's, it's racial passing or... Uh, sexual preference passing or all the other kinds that aren't coming to my head right now. Right. And I mean, of course, we get the whole thing with Hank McCoy, who thinks he can science his way out of this and ends up Victor Frankensteining himself into the blue boy. It's not Frankenstein. It's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. They tell us this. Whatever. <laughs> potato, potato. You know. He experiments on himself, not on someone else. Okay. Is it is it is it time to stop the Cuban Missile Crisis? Yes. Are we ready? Sure. By the way, <laughs> Let's do er, it. earlier I said 1963. I am sorry. It's 1962. Shame on me. None of us were alive then, even me. It's okay. <laughs> All right. It's time to stop the Cuban Missile Crisis. They stopped the Cuban Missile Crisis. It was a mutant thing. What do you want from me? I love how they try to explain the Cuban <laughs> Missile Crisis here as like a mutant plot. And I'm like, yeah, sure, that makes about as much sense as any other reason the Cuban Missile Crisis happened. <laughs> I was about to say, is like it, <laughs> this, this track's a little bit better, honestly. <laughs> this is, and of course, this is, this is the establishment. Because, of course, continuity from X-Men movie to X-Men movie is something we know is very highly valued at this point. But the one place where they're going to plant their flag and stick to it is X-Men Decades. This is the 60s. And the most important thing that happened in the 60s is the Cuban Missile Crisis, which is fair, because had it gone in a different direction, there would have been no more 60s or 70s or 80s or anything, right? So that, I guess, what did, what did you think, Colby? What did you think about, you know, having to eat your vegetables and do history here at the end? Um, I did laugh out loud when I realized it was a Cuban Missile Crisis. I was like, oh, is that what we're doing? That's fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's exciting. I mean, I, it's, uh, have y'all seen Bright? No. no. Don't. It's really bad. <laughs> uh, but it's, be, because I'm, I mean, I might watch some more X-Men between now and the rest of my life. Uh <laughs> But it's it's always interesting when they try to insert history into these things, because it's very easy to go down the rabbit hole of, okay, so if these people were always here, then they're going to be affecting history. So why is this happening the same way it would have? I've, I asked if y'all have seen Bright, um, because Bright does this, but like 
it's real life happened, but instead of um like instead of just being humans, there's also orcs and fairies and elves. But like history still happened. The line that I'm thinking of is there someone was being racist towards like an orc and uh one of the Mexican cops, Mexican American cops was like, Yeah, people still give me shit for the Alamo. And I was like, one, no one has ever uh been racist to Mexicans because of the Alamo. Uh two Um why did the Al why why did the Alamo still happen the way it did? And also there were orcs and fairies and the elves have like a whole society that is visible to everyone else so it's easy to go down that road when you have real history in these movies so i almost wish it would be alternate history at that point that's fair i just really quickly want to say and and this was definitely before you were born there was i think it was a mini series not a tv movie about the alamo and it was really an attempt to explain what the hell the Alamo was. <laughs> Santa Anna is like the worst person ever in the history of the world. And probably about when that came out, there may have, in fact, racism that happened because of the Alamo in that one brief moment. Because, of course, if it's one thing we're really good at in America and pop culture, it's doing that. That's fair enough. <laughs> I do want to ask you, so during this time, we obviously get the break between Eric and Charles. What did you think about their relationship in this movie? Because obviously, they have the best bromance of all, of, of all in, this, in this series. And what did you think about this scene at the end where they sort of split over ideological differences, even though they still really care about each other? Once we got like inside, uh, like once we got the the frozen Kevin Bacon, from then on, I was like a hundred percent like glued in. But their relationship before, I thought that it was, it's like okay, if you want to make like the allegory to like two people who are quote unquote on the same side but have like ideological differences, like this is where this is the way to do it. Not with uh, one of them working with the government. Uh, so I, I think that I, I really enjoy their dynamic and I think the way that they frame Eric, it all makes sense for the most part. I think it's one of the better ways is one of the better things that they did with this movie is I feel like with a lot of villains that quote unquote have a point they take it way too far to the other side in which uh, it's like, yeah, you have a point, but like, and I'm talking about this movie in specific right now. It's like, yes, you have a point, And also uh, you can't just be doing a genocide all the time. <laughs> like your point does not like <laughs> your point does not make it okay to do a genocide. But in this story is like, yes, Eric, because of everything that you have, encountered in your life from like the literal holocaust uh to this point here it makes a hundred percent sense to uh turn those missiles back on the americans and the russians who uh they weren't helping <laughs> that cause yeah um so it 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 makes sense and i really am glad that it wasn't as bungled as i've seen it in in other properties yeah, I, I didn't appreciate that on rewatch. I do like this movie a lot, but I, I actually really don't appreciate that Charles throughout this movie, Charles seems really intent on telling Eric how to process his trauma, which mm -hmm. doesn't set well with me. I mean, we already know that Charles tends to be really patronizing and very parental to everybody. But at this point, I was like, you can, like, help him process his trauma without telling him how to process his trauma, which was really And not, like, invading his head when he repeatedly tells you not to. Yeah. Well, I mean, what, the, the, what I came away from with this movie is, um, Charles is kind of an asshole. <laughs> like, yes. Yes, I, he like, is. Like, he's... He's not exactly like a hero to me in this in this movie. He's certainly the protagonist, but not a hero. Okay, so this is a really good place to ask this because I think we've talked about most of the other big big name actors in this movie. How did you think McAvoy and Fassbender did in their roles as Charles and Eric? 
I like Fassbender's role. I like Fassbender in his role better than uh, McAvoy, just because I feel like I've seen McAvoy do that a bunch before. <laughs> so, which is, I mean, it's good McAvoy. <laughs> like, if I'm going to get a McAvoy, I'll take that one. That's fair. That's fair. Fassbender, I think, has, um, you can really see it, like, on his face, <laughs> you know? Like, the, the scene with the, uh, with the satellite. Um, when he finally has like a spark of joy for the first time as an adult, um, that he got through a total invasion from Charles, um, <laughs> but still like be like seeing the that joy and that optimism for the first time, it like it breaks through all the hardness that he's projected so far in a really beautiful way. And he's got tears um, on his face, like he's crying yeah. in that moment. Yeah. It's awesome. Also, um uh overly sarcastic production productions pointed out that um the the significance of him lighting the lighting the menorah with his mother, like the and that being the significance of Hanukkah is the one light that wouldn't go out. And that that's the one memory that didn't go away from him for him. I think it's really it's cool. That's a fun symbolism. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. Him telling Shaw that he does agree with him, but he killed his mom, so of course he has to kill him, is like peak villain vibes for me. I love it when people are like, there, there's a line in the otherwise terrible movie, the remake 310 to Yuma with Christian Bale and uh, Russell Crowe. It's a terrible movie. I don't recommend it. But there's a line where Russell Crowe's character says, even bad men love their mamas. And that's, that's, that was really peak what was going on in that moment for me. I laughed so hard. Hey, don't mess with mama. <laughs> that's, that's the one line you don't cross. All right. Before we move on to facts and stats, there is, of course, one character who we have not brought up yet. It is the one played by Huge Ackman himself. <laughs> we do get the wonderful Wolverine cameo during the Bill and Ted, I'm sorry, Charles and Eric montage of going to pick up mutants. As somebody who is less familiar with this franchise, was this anything? Yeah. Okay. I, I had, uh, I've seen that clip before, um, but in context, it's even more fun. So yeah, I like it. Good old uh, pick up a check <laughs> for, for one day of work and go home. I don't yeah. need it. Full, I, I like I how you think that's a full day of work. they don't call him one take jackman for nothing all right it is now time for astonishing facts astonishing fact number one there were two people considered to play sebastian shaw kevin bacon and colin firth Hmm. makes sense that tracks (laughs) instead bond uses him in the kingsman there were a couple of wait but can you see kevin bacon Playing the role in Kingsman. I forget that dude's name. I can see Kevin Bacon playing literally anything. So, (laughs) I mean. Because that role to me, it's it's very Colin Firth. It's extremely Colin Firth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But can you think about Darcy as the evil Nazi guy? That'd be super fun. Not at all. It would not be fun. It'd be terrible. No. Yeah, I could see it. Speaking of Nazis. There were a couple of cracks taken at this the script for this movie before they started. You can tell that the that the creation of this movie began before X-Men Origins Wolverine What the Hell is This Movie bombed because this was going to be X-Men Origins Magneto. And and here's the thing. Sheldon Turner who did uh, some of the writing on this film originally wanted this to be a straight-up Magneto origin story. It's basically a combination of an X-Men film and The Pianist. That would have been intense. Yeah. Maybe they could have gotten Adrian Brody to play the bad guy. <gasps> Twist. Nothing? Okay. All right. I don't have anything for that. No, I got more. So, Zach Penn, who was involved in several of the earlier X-Men movies, as well as the first Avengers movie and The Incredible Hulk, which really ought to tell you everything you know, also submitted an idea for a movie that would have actually been called X-Men Origins Magneto. So yeah, we were going to do that. We were going to give it a try. No first class. This is purely the story of Magneto and Charles and how Magneto became the big bad. So 
I like how their plan after The Last Stand was to literally give every single X-Men their own origin movie until, like, we're not doing team-ups anymore. We're just going to do them one by one until Wolverine bombed. But is it such a bad idea? Because, like, we... No, I'm I'm asking honestly because we... We just complained that there's too many characters in this movie. It's true. <laughs> so, it's true. So the if you just swing the pendulum the other way, we're going to do one at a time and just slowly get up there. I mean, it worked for the other Marvel franchise. Well, couldn't you have done this entire movie without the the quote-unquote first-class characters? Couldn't it have just been, you know, Shaw, McTaggart, Eric... Charles, Raven, maybe Emma. I don't know. That'd be it, though, right? We could do that. I think it might have been better for it. I mean, this is coming from somebody who really wants Storm to have her own movie. So, like, (laughs) believe me, I am interested in the idea. It's just really strange that that was, like, their pivot. All right, I got two more for you. So the, the beach scenes at the end were slated to be filmed on Tybee Island. Our neck of the woods. But eventually they discovered doing uh, recon that Jekyll Island was a better island off the coast of Georgia. Fun fact, Jekyll Island is where I went on my eighth grade class trip. That is an astonishing fact, y'all. And finally, casting fun facts. Yes, we could have had Colin Firth as Sebastian Shaw, but we could have had Wolfboy himself, Taylor Lautner, as Hank McCoy. Interesting. What's Taylor Lautner up to these days? Uh, Not dating Taylor Swift. And we also could. (laughs) That is a 12 year old reference. Oh, that's a that's a (laughs) that's a Taylor Swift ex-boyfriend burn. Speaking of Rose Byrne. Instead of her as Maura Taggart, we could have had Rosamund Pike. Hmm. I mean, I would have put her I would have had her do Emma Frost instead and call it a day. But this is where we are. All right. We've done the astonishing facts. It's now for the time for the uncanny stats. We're going to pretend that X-Men Origins Wolverine doesn't exist, and we're just going to say the budget for X-Men First Class was 160 million, which was 50 million less than The Last Stand. Compare the openings. Domestic opening weekend. Last Stand had that huge 102 million dollar four-day opening. Whereas this movie only had 55 million opening. Turns out we don't want history. We don't want comic book and jokes. Do a stupid and we'll come to see it. <laughs> Which explains what comes next. Anyway, the total box office for this movie was 353 million, way short of 459 from The Last Stand. I know that you're wondering what was the opening weekend for this like the weekend after Memorial Day in 2011. Well, this movie did go first place. Second place, The Hangover 2. Third place, Kung Fu Panda 2. Great movie. Yeah. I mean, okay, Jack Black should be in an X-Men movie. That'd he be should. fun. He should. Number four, Pirates of the Caribbean. It's not number two. It's number four, isn't it? Stranger Tides. Isn't that number four? I don't care. They're all whatever. And five, the only original movie on the list, Bridesmaids. Hooray. Also starring Rose Byrne. All right. She had both those movies, same year. And finally, for the all new, all different segment in which Tessa recommends a thing. I actually have two this time. So I recommend that if you are interested in this movie and you want to read some comic books that are sort of adjacent or inspired this movie i would recommend reading the x-men first class storyline which is only eight issues that came out from 2006 to 2007 that has the most direct link to this particular movie but if you're really interested in going all the way back to the beginning and looking at the squad as it was back when they first rebooted it in the 60s, I would recommend checking out Giant Size X-Men Volume 1, which collects the original rebooted X-Men from the 1960s. You do have some of the original characters like Storm, Wolverine, Cyclops, Jean Grey, but you also have characters from this movie like Banshee, Beast, uh, you get Nightcrawler, which is obviously not Azazel, but you do get a teleporter with a tail. 
All right, it's time for us to avert global nuclear war via mutually assured destruction. But the 13 Days of X-Men will be back tomorrow to talk about Days of Future Past, a movie that Colby hasn't seen but definitely should over the next 24 hours because if you love the Cuban Missile Crisis, you'll love Nixon. We're going <laughs> We're going to be talking Is that really what that movie's about? Yes. <laughs> we're going to be talking about the Rogue Cut which neither Tessa or myself have ever seen. We'll also be joined by another friend of the pod, Elise. Watch along with us, tweet at us, email us, let us know all your miraculous mutant thoughts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at monkeybacklog. Email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com and visit our website, monkeyoffmybacklog.com. Colby! Where can people find you online and or perhaps listen to you in podcast form when you're not talking with us? You can find me on Twitter at Colby Complains. You can listen to me talk about sports with my buds at Nevermate Varsity. You can also listen to the last episode of Martha and Colby Grow Up coming out this month. So come check us out. You can find Tessa on Twitter at Suela Tessa, and you can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris 9. Hopefully one day you'll be able to listen to Colby and I on our podcast, Sam Shows Colby Things That You Can't See Because It's a Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And I will show Sam what it's like for a team to win a championship. I think this this has legs. I think we could do it. (laughs) You know, the more I think about it. Our theme song is Jingle Bells by Scott Holmes and can be found on scottholmesmusic.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Happy holidays, and get that monkey off your back. Bub. <laughs>